African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us right here at 1100 hours Central African time. As I mentioned yesterday that we're broadcasting outside of our Auckland Park studios at the SABC today. We're right here in uh, Santon where the Africa Shared Value Summit is taking place. I tried to explain it to you yesterday, trying to really unpack what it's all about. Really, it's about uh, the private sector coming on board in, in terms of packaging and creating products and uh, it's not really outreach programs but making sure that their products are tailor-made to have a social outcomes and and, and this year's uh, gathering has a theme titled uh, building business for the future already it's we've had a heated uh, start to the conversation a lot of uh, conversations really around how do you actually tailor make uh, businesses to actually have products that uh, complement the aspirations of the sustainable development goals and uh, already we had two great conversations where we had James Mwangi who is the executive director from Dalberg Group speaking about leveraging private sector investment to achieve the sustainable development goals, also highlighting various issues about focusing on intention, uh, why do we actually employ that the way we do, speaking about generational shifts and a whole lot of range of issues that he highlighted that we'll unpack because he's with us here in our outside uh, uh, broadcast. And also another fantastic commentary was from Deproch Muchena, who's the regional director from Amnesty International Southern Africa, who was highlighting the contradictions and the deficits that we're seeing in terms of the corporate sector and how it relates uh, to society. But let me start with you, James. Thank you for, for joining us. Fantastic conversation both of you had actually and it was a very very much uh, uh, more realistic start to to this conversation because we were here last year which was the first Africa shared value which was really trying to break down what Africa uh, the shared value concept actually means for the African continent from your perspective this time around it seems like there's a shift in terms of looking at really relating the concept of shared value to the real uh, situation on the ground and how business is relating to society. Tell us a little bit about how the shared value concept is still something that we need to really define and also tailor make for the African continent, as you were highlighting early on. Thank you, and, and thank you for the question. Uh, I, I think, you know, if, if we buy the fact that shared value is about getting business to bring their core functions to focus on social challenges. And if we then also agree that Africa probably faces some of the biggest sets of social challenges of any part of the world, then it stands to reason that businesses in Africa to succeed will need to have a shared value lens. It, it, it just goes with the territory. 80% of your market is struggling with basic issues of poverty and exclusion. You need to understand how you engage with them and, and, and proceed. And I think 
one of the transitions that we're seeing, uh, and for a while it was a source of frustration, but it's an interesting and, and in some ways inspiring transition, is you're seeing more and more businesses starting to recognize hmm. that the question of how you deal with issues of exclusion, of sustainability, of inequality, those things need to sit with your line managers mm-hmm. within the core business, in their core targets, because they're making decisions every day that feed into the, the business's kind of overall footprint. Now, the bad news is we have so much to do in Africa. The good news is for any business that sets out to start to take a shared value uh, approach, there is there's such a rich array of opportunities to engage, in part because the challenges are so many. So I think there's a a shift that's starting to happen in mindset. I think it's happening a little bit slowly. I think there's a few people who the minute they hear about shared value they think well it's corporate social sure, responsibility sure, sure. it's a thing we do on, on weekends some to people look think good. it's philanthropy exactly yeah, sure. yeah but, 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 but I wanted to look at that contradiction and that contrast because you highlighted it very well when you were speaking the contrast of capitalistic motives which mm-hmm. is to make a profit it's not really to have social outcomes so mm-hmm. someone who's listening to us would say well if I'm going to APSA it's basically to get a loan and they're going to get more out of me than I actually got from them. Mm-hmm. And their intention or the objective is not really to make sure that my social needs are actually fulfilled. So those contradictions actually stand out when it comes to a shared value system. And just like Depros highlighted, there is a deficit of trust whereby maybe people don't really believe uh, corporate sector has their interests at heart. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, fair, it's, a, it's a fair challenge, and I think for a bit too long, mm. business has fallen into a very short-termist mindset, because it's not actually even about the question of profit. Sure. It's a question of profit over what period. And the reality is, if I am completely ruthless about extracting every last cent of value in every single op- you know, transaction today, mm. what, are the challenges that any, what are the chances anyone I transact with, whether it's my employees, my suppliers, uh, my customers will want to do or will remain loyal to me mm. tomorrow. Mm. Moreover, if I ignore the hidden costs of what I'm doing today, what are the chances that those hidden costs will eventually come back to bite my business? So I think taking a little bit of a longer-term view, and I'm not talking decades or generations, sure. just moving beyond the next quarterly statement mm. to say what is good for the business's growth and profitability over a medium duration is key. In our own business, what we found is when we engage with companies, increasingly what we're selling to them is how do we boost your long-term performance and growth. And we do that by tying you to core challenges in in the society. The businesses that grow to massive scale are the ones which speak to what's going on uh, on the ground. And and luckily in Africa now, we're seeing a range of businesses Mm. that are showing that a real social engagement is not an add-on, it's Mm. not a luxury, it's actually the driver of long-term shareholder value. Mm. Let me move it to you, Deproys, because you, you, you questioned also the, the, that, that particular issue of uh, the intent around this idea of share value and how it actually uh, unfolds itself from a corporate perspective into relating to uh, the social components of it. And you were asking questions around that, around the issues of uh, what is the intention of corporate itself. You asked questions around also leadership, what is their role in terms of making sure that they roll out things that are actually uh, people-centric. And that was the question that you were highlighting. Mm. Oh, yes, I was highlighting that th- those, those two, in fact, I asked four questions mm. that I said, if we are going to transition into 
uh, an economy, a society that is driven by the idea of shared value. Mm. We have to look at leadership as a primary foundational cornerstone of that project. Mm. And leadership here means that at the very top of private sector organizations are people with a commitment to transform mm. and not just a commitment to build profits. And that leadership should inspire not just the workforce in the local company, but the entire business association, the confederation. And that's why we need inspirational leadership. People are really committed to transforming our society. So the, the, the leadership test is key. But also people who interact with business. They can be academic, they can be media, they can be civil society. We are seeing a crisis across the terrain, sure. and I'm calling it leadership by perspiration. People are getting tired trying to provide leadership, but they are not inspiring anybody. Mm -hmm. Second test was, of course, the ownership test. That economic policies that are not owned by the local population mm -hmm. suffer a crisis of legitimacy and business projects or proposals that are being driven by companies at community level, especially in the extractive sector, that are not owned by communities also suffer a crisis of credibility. And that's why you will see investments into football clubs or a police station, which is not the community uh, requirement. The community wants to deal with health education and deal with the root causes of why they're excluded. And companies come and they bring a small initiative uh, football team, uh, which is uh, social imperialism, taking people away from exactly what they should be focusing on. So ownership is key. And then the, the accountability test, you know, from government who set policy and set budgets to people who come and finance development, we have to account for the manner in which we are transacting and the indicators we are meeting or not meeting. And then I said the anti-discrimination test, because we know development can be very violent. In the name of development, we can exclude people, sure. forcibly evict people who are living in a particular area because we are putting a big enterprise, mm -hmm. put projects that discriminate on the basis of gender, create pay structures that continue to promote gender inequality mm -hmm. because we are paying more for men and less for women. By so doing, we are not building up the market and the aggregate demand that women can bring. So sincerity test in making sure that inequality is removed is part of the test of anti-discrimination. Then, of course, the final one is that we can't just sit here and say that we are going to be reducing or promoting SDGs when we don't have concrete plans on poverty reduction, inequality reduction, creating a value in people, and so on. So I say that these tests cumulatively constitute the project we need to drive to achieve shared value. And I'm very excited by points that came from my colleague James Mwangi here and the colleague that spoke from Ashanti Gold. We need to aggregate all these proposals into a movement to defeat inequality in Africa. And, uh, you know, while both of you were speaking, what stood out for me was the question, how do you make sure that this process also is not just uh, an idea that is um, uh, boardroom-driven or a concept where a few executives are coming together and say, how can we package products that have social uh, consciousness behind them? How do you make sure that also the issue of uh, really make sure we are very much aligned to the real issues of the ordinary person on the ground, James? Uh, I, I, I think part of the interesting magic, and I alluded to it in my comments, is we're seeing a, a generation of workers, in general, the, the, the people who work in an enterprise will generally be much closer connected to the issues of their community than those who own and sometimes manage and lead an enterprise. That's sure. always been true. Yeah. 
But I think we're at an interesting time uh, in terms of what young people are looking for as they enter the workforce. Certainly as we go out there to look for talent and as we hire new people into our firm, one of the things we have now come to fully accept is that they will increasingly hold us to account with higher and higher standards for the role that we're playing in society. Mm. And so there's, there's this notion that, you know, the way to implement shared values, are, as you said, a board, then CEO, and then drive it on down. I think a lot of it is asking your teams, your employees, what is it that we can do to make a difference? And there will be a range of opportunities and a range of responses. Mm. And that, to, to the process point, about ownership. Mm. It then moves this from, I have been told that I must meet this yep. thing on my scorecard, sure. to the fact that we as a group of people engaged in an enterprise have identified areas in which we can make a particular difference using our time uh, and treasure mm. in ways that are also good for our business. Mm. And I've seen that work in a number of cases. In one, in one, in one instance, a bank that we worked with in East Africa really engage its entire staff in asking what are the ways that our entire infrastructure can be used towards social good. And then the CEO and board taking their marching orders from those ideas then approached a range of international foundations, governments and others to build the partnerships that would allow the bank to proceed as almost a social vehicle sure. after hours. And so what you saw was a group of people who said people think of us as just the bank, but we're also a community of people who want to make a difference in our society. Mm -hmm. And if there are mechanisms that allow us to not just say, well, our bank supports that football team to, your, to the earlier point, mm -hmm. but rather our bank is running this scholarship program or is helping drive this health initiative. And some of that money isn't ours. It's coming from a philanthropist or someone else, but we're playing a key role in managing and executing against it. It creates greater cohesiveness, greater morale, greater loyalty to the company. In a sense, it's good for everyone involved, but it begins with bringing everyone into the conversation, not imposing. So, well... In the corporate sector itself or the private sector, already we are having challenges in African countries where we're still struggling with issues within the context of the private sector of gender parity and we have issues of uh, equity when it comes to income and, and racial diversity in countries such as South Africa. So those still seem to be a big challenge and someone would be saying while the corporate is struggling with actually dealing with its own intra-challenges, why would they actually go outside of themselves to deal with social uh, conditions mm. because uh, the incentive for uh, running a business model that responds to the wider context in which the business is located mm. is that you are likely to be a successful business sure. if you are informed by context because context is everything if you are going to be setting up a company in the northwest province uh, in uh, Inkaneng mm. and all your employees don't reflect the demographics of the area the sustainability of that project is very questionable mm. uh, it also begins with uh, the commitment of a business enterprise to supporting environmental objectives of uh, the macroeconomic strategy of a country sure. uh, I can give you an example of Hayu, a Chinese mining company working in Angoch mm. uh, in the Nampula province which decided that it was going to operate a business without having an environmental impact assessment mm. uh, study and without a license at all because it had been able to have friends in the Ministry of Environment. Uh, the result was that it contributed to a flash flood Definitely. that destroyed homes sure. And when we were doing an assessment, wow. the first question we asked wow. was, where is the environmental impact assessment? There was none. Um, there were no uh, authorization documents, and then the company was now in trouble. Today, as we speak, yesterday, the Minister of Environment issued a license to stop the operation. 
of the company and now it's going to affect lives it's going to affect the the, the, the bottom line of the company sure. had they honored the environmental impact assessment they would have known that in this area one two three things need to be done so these things that look like compliance barriers and you know frustrations and irritations are in fact an attempt to say you are operating in a context where there are more women than men that you need to employ where young people are not employed which you need to get in where you can do uh, supply chain you can get some of the things that you need from the area mm. baskets mm. Uh, things that are being sure. transferred by small industries so i think it's very very central mm. that business groups look at context mm. and then they say how do we influence the context in order for the influ- for the context to support our own uh, initiative and those that do that survive those that don't do that are increasingly facing difficulties in africa well we're going to wrap up this part of our conversation but james that's something that you also highlighted that it's not just about the external approach of the corporate itself it's also about how you as a business do business within your own setup and environment uh, exactly so it's it is really about i think something that the process is critical context is king and you need to be grounded and integrated into your context um a truly grounded business if if an accident happens in our in our in our factory the community is vested in the in and there's a shared attempt to understand what went wrong sure on the other hand if we've been arms length and exploitative what would have been a manageable issue which was due to no one person's ill will very quickly turns into a massive flashpoint of industrial action community rejection etc etc so how is it that you get ahead of these issues think in the long term and build the partnerships and relationships when times are good so that they're there to bolster you and support you when times are bad well, thank you, James. I think I'm going to stay with you, Mwangi. Uh, but thank you, Depros Michena, Regional Director from uh, Amnesty International Southern Africa. We always speak to him at Channel Africa. It's great, finally, to have uh, uh, an interaction with you. And I uh, hope that you, you enjoy the rest of the summit. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break. And if you're just joining us, we also are speaking uh, to James Mwangi, Executive Director of Dalberg Group, who's also speaking about leveraging private sector investment to achieve SDG. We're right here at the Africa Shared Value Summit, right here at the Maslow Hotel in uh, uh, Santon. It's also another contradiction itself, uh, that particular aspect of things. But we'll continue the conversation after this break. Friday the 25th of May is a special day for our continent. It is Africa Day. Africans commemorate the founding of the Organization of African Unity, now known as the African Union, on the 25th May 1963. It aims to celebrate African unity. Channel Africa will be part of the celebrations. Join us as we broadcast live from the 9th Tabombeki Africa Day Lecture. So tune into Channel Africa. Friday the 25th of May from 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band when we'll bring you Ms. Pumuzile Mulambo Nuka, Under Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women, the title of her lecture being Gender Equality and Women Development for Africa's Renewal. The time and frequency again, 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time 
on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band. Channel Africa, 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 bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, uh, where we look at things from an African perspective. Uh, thank you for joining us on our shortwave service into Sub-Saharan Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And you can stream us live if you're part of the Pan-African family on www.channelafrica.co.za if you're streaming outside of the continent. Well, today we're right here at the Africa Shared Value Summit, which started today. It's the second one. One of its kind. Uh, we were here last year and it seems like the approach is very different. Well, last year there was really a focus on what the phrase shared value means. But uh, just hearing from the very robust conversations and um, presentations that have been made this morning, very impressive people are starting to really talk around the issue of how do you realize this idea of uh, uh, tailor-making products to actually have some form of social outcome and also how does business in itself do business in a way that has uh, a social outcomes and uh, joining us now uh, is uh, uh, we have uh, Brian Chickson who's joining us uh, from Anglo Gold Ashanti Limited was also uh, speaking this particular morning very diverse views that have been coming out uh, Thank you, Brian, for giving us your time. Hey, thank you. Fantastic. Now, this idea of shared value is a new concept for Africa uh, because we've usually seen uh, social ends and social um, uh, needs of our communities around business and uh, approach that in a way of community outreaches, in other ways through ways of philanthropy. But for you as someone who comes from a sector that's been very much criticized in terms of not really having a good reputation with uh, how minds deal with communities, what does shared value mean to you? Maybe I should take a couple of steps back. Sure. Um, and you look at the social license to operate. Um, of of the mining uh, enterprise and when we look at particularly the African continent uh, we're seeing a convergence in the formal legal licensing requirements and the social licensing requirements okay. Okay? Uh, that then means that we need to really look at how do we interact and interface with those societies and contribute to their upliftment as part of our um, business activities. Okay, so philanthropy doesn't do it. Corporate social responsibility or corporate social investment doesn't do it. Sure. And, and for me, the key thing about the way in which we can build trust um, with our host communities is the way in which we conduct our business where they play a part in the shaping and and participate in in the entire business so so for instance a, a prime example and i mentioned it in the talk here is sure. a critical lever is the way in which we look at local business development okay now many developing countries african countries are saying no you've actually got to have local sourcing and local business development and we're saying absolutely because that's that's something that is important for the community development, but it's also important for the company. There's a value to be derived if we can build the capability from uh, increased local ownership of, of the supply chain and local value addition okay. in the supply chain. Um, so 
I, I struggle a little bit with the concept of shared value because it almost implies that there's a single-sized pie and you've actually got to divvy sure, that up sure, and give. Sure. And I'm thinking that, no, no, we, we actually, in with mutual benefit and mutual um, value, we can create innovations and turn threats into opportunities and create new value and that's sure. what I'm really interested in. So, And James, that's exactly what you are highlighting yeah. and you were speaking about the issue of uh, that mutuality creates a new space of opportunity where you can identify needs and actually leverage off them. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's right, and I think it's it. I think Brian puts it beautifully in the sense that if we think about shared value as we bake the cake and then we figure out what kind, what size of slice will go from business to society, mm-hmm. we've already lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at some point, there'll be a sense that the cake is a bit too small. Let's reduce the slice we're sharing because our shareholders expect something. I think instead, the businesses that I see succeeding are those that are figuring out ways in which their contribution to society is accretive yeah. to, uh, and building on to their, to their kind of core you know, kind of business performance. Mm. Um, whether it's because I'm treating my workers really fairly and I'm going to people who wouldn't otherwise have had an opportunity. And as a result, the costs of my retaining my staff are much lower than my competitors. Sure. So my team is happier and more integrated and, and so on. Or alternatively... I am actually partnering with a social sector actor to map the needs of poor farmers. And as a result, the products I then roll out commercially are more competitive and more resonant with the needs these people have. Give us that example when you're speaking about farming, the one that you spoke about, that mobile application. I thought that was a fantastic example that you made in your presentation. Yeah, yeah this, the, this came from some work that, uh, that, that uh, we partnered with, uh, with MercyCorp, which is one of the world's largest NGOs. Mm. And they were asking, how do we begin to engage differently? Uh, with a range of actors. Um, was this in Kenya? Uh, this was focused on Kenya to begin with, sure. but expanding beyond it. Okay. At the same time, in other conversations with, uh, with uh, one of the leading mobile network operators, well, once I say it's Kenya, it's Safaricom, <laughs> sure. um, they, they were asking the question, how do we as well continue to deepen our penetration to the market, roll out new products, new services? Mm. By making common cause... Um, these two players, Safaricom was able to deepen its engagement in the agricultural uh, value chain because they were designing a product that really spoke to what smallholder farmers needed. And Mercy Corps was able to impact a much larger number of farmers in a much more scalable and sustainable way than they otherwise would have. And as I've said, the adoption numbers have been incredible. Uh, the innovation was actually honored by Fast Company uh, globally as one of the, lead, the five leading social innovations of the year. And it again speaks to this notion of the NGOs thinking a lot more with a lens of business and business acting with the social purpose that you normally ascribe to an NGO and both of them meeting their core goals better as a result. So uh, let, me, let me come back to you, Brian, because someone would ask, uh, from a mining sector, there must be a lot of deficits that you could have from uh, a public perspective viewpoint, mm-hmm. whereby uh, people are asking questions around uh, uh, issues of remuneration, issues around safety of miners and the wage gap. Um, there's also conversation around safety of miners in South Africa. We know that's a big, big issue. And also how the communities around the, the mining environment actually benefit from the mines themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the big social questions that mines have to deal with. As uh, um, Anglo Gold, how are you dealing with those uh, social questions? 
there will probably be an hour's conversation about our strategy. Sure, <laughs> so sure. I don't really want to want to go in that direction. But just okay. give us a, a little but bit of an okay, so, pulse so, of what okay, so, are you changing so, so, and gearing a new direction? I think if we look at our what are the key things that we that we need to respond to and address, okay, okay. Um, in order for us to succeed as a company, okay, our employees need to be safe. We need to have uh, healthy employees. We need to be responsible st- stewards of the environment. We need to have. Uh, we need to be contributing to self-sustaining communities. We need to be really getting our hands around mine closure. Um, we need to be enabling asset communities and employee security. We need to be a a, a champion of human rights. Uh, we need to be addressing small-scale and illegal mining, and we need to be navigating a whole lot of the political challenges that we face. So, so that's how we've mapped our material issues. Okay. Now, putting all of that, we have set ourselves five, twenty, thirty aspirations, okay, that are congruent with addressing these respons- uh, these challenges, and driving a social and in- and planetary agenda. Okay, so we said by 2030, we will have workplaces free of injury and harm. By 2030, we will have healthy employees and healthy communities. By 2030, we will have eliminated environmental harm. We'll have zero harm, environmental harm, and we will be using our, equitably using our natural resources. That's with our range of stakeholders. By 2030, um, we will have self-sustaining communities free of poverty and inequality. And by 2030, we will have no human rights violations and the relationships that we share with our communities will be so trust-based that they will contribute to protecting our our business, our enterprises. Sure. Okay. Now, within that, having having established those enterprises, all of the dif- different disciplines that have made up the sustainable development portfolio have their strategies uh, using a common approach, common framework, and the activities are bedded into that. So you might look at, okay, well, what are some of the examples that you're playing with uh, sure. in order to do that? I mentioned one of the big drives... Um, is and it's one of the most the biggest strategic levers that we have in play is local business development for the localization of of capability ownership and value addition okay. to products and services um, in 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 our continent right and if we can nail that one then we'll have made some substantive progress uh, and and i think there's a huge opportunity because m- many mining enterprises have looked at um, the value chain downstream and very little attention has been played, uh, has been focused on, on upstream, and I think that's where the value is to be had. That's where the main value is to be had. So, so as part of our strategic focus areas, it's looking at how do we line up our local business development plans to meet uh, district, regional, national development plans, congruent with where the the, co- the community and the country wants to go to. How do we identify potential players, uh, local players that we can engage with, build sure. their capability? And once we've established that upstream strength, okay, how do we enable act as a catalyst and play with partners for their diversification mm-hmm. so that they can be resilient and our communities can be sure. resilient beyond life of mine. Okay. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up because we only have a few minutes in terms of the, the realization because just like you highlighted, I'm thinking you guys have a, a 12-year plan, uh, but right now, instantly at this particular moment, what needs to be done for really to start things up in moving this shared value idea we, we, forward? We, 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 it's not about starting things up, it's about continuing and executing sure, our strategy sure. because yeah. strategy is lined up with the whole concept of mutual benefit. Okay. 
uh, living in coexistence and harmony with our with our um, communities and stakeholders, contributing to the common good. So it's really pushing on with that agenda and being resilient in the face of adversity, uh, such as economic downturns uh, within within the industry, such as political ups and downs. Sure. Okay, you just got to be resolute. Well, uh, James, as as we're about to wrap it up, when we started the conversation, you said Africa has no other real um, option but to go the shared value way just because of the disparities that we are also seeing on, on the African continent. Um, do you see this trend and shift actually um, business moving into that direction? I, I, I think you do see it and I think the businesses that have been leaders in that area have in many cases also ended up being leading performing businesses. I think something that Brian said is really important, which sure. is the importance of a long-term, recognizing a long-term journey, yeah. and it requires deep changes in the way that companies work and are incentivized and are structured. And one part of that is that the companies need to stay the course, yes. but I think another part of it is that we also need to have a little bit of strategic patience, sure. which is to say okay. sometimes I see businesses getting distracted and saying, well, we're going to do a big, deep, shared value thing, then the community saying, what are you doing now? And so we cancel that and we're just going to go paint schools sure, so people sure. can see us. Ah. So th there's something about saying, are we making verifiable commitments to a long-term shift? And can society encourage those businesses that are engaging in a long-term way um, versus kind of the, the culture of short-term gratification, whether for profit or not for profit? Sure. You I mean, but to having, say having, having said right. that, James, you know, yes, it's a long-term game. Sustainable development is long-term. It's complex. But even within that context, there's some seriously short-term gains that wins that you can look at. I mean, sure. something that was really interesting that we did in Ghana. Okay, and yeah, there was a little difficulty up there. But when we when we merged with Ashanti Goldfields, right? One of our commitments was to set up an integrated malaria control program for the entire district, covering about 180,000 lives. Um, and we did that, and within two years, we had reduced the malaria incidence of the entire district by 72%, and it was sustained. And it cost, cost $1.8 million a year, and, and I mean, we were seeing in the Obwasi district like 15,000 cases of malaria per month, okay? Yeah. At our hospital, we're seeing six to 7,000 cases of malaria. Two years, boom. And, 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 and that was touched and felt and experienced sure, by the community. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's as practical as us doing it in a, in a short term with also other with processes that have yeah. uh, long-term uh, applications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but thank you. Sure, sure. Li lined, up, lined up with what the community see as their pressing priorities. Sure. Not what we patronizingly yes. determine sure, sure. are their priorities. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Jens, for giving us your time. Uh, that was the voice there of Brian Chickson, who is uh, joining us. He's the Vice President of Health and EVP Support at Anglo Gold Ashanti Limited. He was speaking today about aligning to the SDGs in the mining sector. A very, very big uh, conversation there. And I think one that also needs to be expanded more, even within uh, the mining sector itself. I think this is a conversation the mining sector should even have amongst themselves. Thanks as well to James Mwangi, who is the executive director of Dalberg Group, who was speaking on leveraging private sector investment to achieve the SDGs. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us here at the Africa Shared Value Summit. We'll be back tomorrow. I think we'll have a program tomorrow, right? The same place, same time, where we'll be looking at more conversations uh, that are taking place here at the Africa Shared Value Summit. From me, Benjamin Mushak.
Satama. Until next time, God bless. Once again, South Africa uniting the all Africa. Aha! Uh-huh.